Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Bunker. Pull down the blinds and encrypt your comms. Our fearless leader is on lockdown and back in his bunker after a long hiatus. He's providing his thoughts on the UFC, the state of MMA business, incriminating rumors, and the latest spicy headlines. Complete with the MMA tete-a-tete, featuring interviews with guests from the MMA community. Pay Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Kid Nate Wilcox. Hola, Cage Fighting Connoisseurs. This is KidNateOfBloodyElbow.com, and I've got a very, very, very special guest here today. We're talking about Ken Shamrock of the Lion's Den, one of the legendary founders of the sport we now call mixed martial arts. But back in the day, we used to call No Holds Barred. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, appreciate you having me. My pleasure. And so I, I've got a confession to make. I hope you can tolerate this, but... Um, as much as I honor your accomplishment and have watched so many of your fights with great pleasure many, many times, I have to confess, I almost always rooted against you. I hope you can forgive me. <laughs> hey, brother, as long as you watch the fight, man, I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, I think Don Fry was the only one that I, where I rooted for you um, back in the day and maybe some of the, maybe the first Severn fight, but um but I know you're here to talk about Valor BK. So tell us about your new promotion. What separates it from the pack? What you got, what got you excited about the opportunity to promote bare knuckle fighting? Yeah, you know, um, it goes back to my obviously my journey in fighting. Um, I, you know, when I first started fighting, it was something that really saved my life. I mean, it was I fell in love with it. I wanted to do it, and even to a point to where uh, it got to a point to where I should have quit early but because i loved it so much i never wanted to leave unfortunately it got to a point where i realized i couldn't put in the training not the fighting action because i always loved the fight but just couldn't really prepare for the fights properly and be ready to fight uh with the with the three month or two month training uh, camp i guess because my body just wouldn't recover enough so i had to step away reluctantly um because i just felt like that's just something i love doing and always have but i felt like i wanted to stay in it somehow and i felt like and, you know, owning my own business and being a promoter, uh, coming up with my own vision of, of how I would like to see these fights go. I felt like I could be an innovator like I was through my, throughout my fight career uh, with, with jumping in different things and, and being new and on almost everything that I did uh, and knew and seen how it could be something special. I felt like I could do the same with, you know, building my own uh, promotion. And so the vision that I came up with was really from my experiences as a fighter, you know, the no ropes and the no cages. I felt, you know, just understanding, you know, what that means to the fans when they, they buy the seats in the front row, like they're literally getting the best seats in the house. I mean, it's not like they, you know, impedes their vision because of a rope or a pole or a cage or, you know, people getting in the way. It's just like literally very open for the fans who are buying those tickets, they're literally getting to see the best fights in the house. And so by taking them down, I felt like it wouldn't hinder fighters because fighters are never in my experience been forced to stay inside the fight. Um, you have to be trapped in there in order to fight. No, I don't know why they're there. Maybe it's because if they're going backwards um, there, it keeps their momentum from really taking them out. But 
in my opinion, you should never be going backwards. You should be moving side to side or one step backwards and then side to side. So I felt like just being able to take those down, it would help in a lot of ways. And one, it would force action. Uh, two, it would give a visibility that people would never experience. Um, and so by doing that, I felt like, you know, this would be a great start of being different. So we did that. Uh, the next thing I felt like the clinch, you know, it felt like that was a cheat code because you watch boxing for many years, as I did in early days where, you know, they were fighting and then they would clinch when someone got hurt and it just felt like, you know, guy gets somebody hurt. The first thing they were coached is to grab the guy so that they can't hit you. And then it even got worse when Mike Tyson was fighting. And then that was literally what, how people would beat Mike was they would, they would land a few punches and they would just hug him. And Mike could never really get off because that was a legal move. And it felt like a cheat code. Like it just kept people from actually having to engage in a fight or keeping from being able to counter. And so I felt like taking that out would just force people to have to fight and not cheat. So we did that. And then the next thing was really my experience with the gloves when they first brought in in the USC where they brought gloves in. And I remember they sold it as it was, we want to just try to make it safer. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That makes sense. Like pad the hands and, you know, guys won't, you know, take so much damage. So it kind of felt right with the four ounce gloves. Um, so, but after six months in, I realized that's not what they were doing. Um, they were protecting the hand and literally putting it on there so that the guys that they were protecting weren't, weren't from actually getting punched, but actually the guys that were doing the punching and they didn't want their hands to get hurt because they had to come back out and fight again. So it was just a bill that was sold that I felt was false. And it took away the accuracy and the, and the, the tech, technical um, aspect of submissions um, early on in the UFC when they put gloves on guys. It just took away that purity of submissions, the purity of striking. And so I felt like, well, this is basically a, uh, a stand-up organization where we want to in, engage in striking. I don't want people to be able to get an advantage by putting on a piece of equipment. I want to make sure that people that are in there are guys there that are fighting and that are literally there that are going to want to be professionals, like literally be more accurate, um, be able to hit their target, and uh, not swing for the fences and then get rewarded for it because they're wearing a glove. So we took that off. We did our first event in 2019. It was unbelievable how fast it was, how exciting it was. Unfortunately, COVID hit. So we had to back up, work on our apps, do some other things. And now here we are. We're ready to do our second event. And I'm excited about it because I truly believe that, you know, Valor is definitely, in my opinion, special. And it's got a different uh, vision. Um, I am very happy for all the other people out there doing bare knuckle. I support them. I think they're doing a great job. I think they've done a lot for bare knuckle because I think bare knuckle has to come out because I believe that it is true fighting. It is true God-given talent. And um, we're just going to make it a little bit more true God-given talent where they're not allowed to wear tapes and not allowed to grab and they're not going to use the ropes or a cage to defend themselves or bounce off of. So that's kind of it in a nutshell with me getting involved uh, in bare knuckle. There's more to it. I believe that bare knuckle is just the beginning of what we want to bring to the table later down the road. Uh, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of where MMA was, you know, where it was truly, um, it was really special because there wasn't a glove on there to stop guys from being able to do submissions. You know, the chokes went down because the big glove on the hand, the ankle locks, the heel hooks, everything went down because of that big glove. And then 
of course, the striking went up because people didn't have to be accurate. They could just open fences and, and not really worry about hurting their hands. So I think we're in a good spot. I'm really excited for October 27th at the UNF. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to um, see how this one unfolds. I think it's going to be special. And why do you think that the, in terms of the macro economic opportunity, why do you think that the interest now is around bare knuckle boxing rather than some variation of MMA? You know, one of the things I looked at um, as I watched bare knuckle first kind of explode onto the scene, and it was really in England, and then they had these back row brawls on, on social media platforms, and they were getting millions of views. And I kept trying to figure out why. And I remember going back and watching football and then, of course, now baseball with the pitch clock is that sports had to change their ways. It's like NFL with the scoring points and, you know, not being able to hit the quarterback and not hitting receivers. Uh, They're inducing scoring. They need more excitement in their events. And I believe that what we've done in Valor and what the vision was in Valor was to keep it exciting, to keep fighters fighting, which is what they want to do. And being able to have this vision with these rule changes is basically you're engaging in more fighting by these rules. And the fan base, when they go on these social medias and everything, everything's from six seconds to 10 seconds. They literally are getting everything now, action now. They get bored fast. So what you're seeing in MMA, and I'm not saying I don't enjoy it because I do, but a lot of fans want to see fights and they want to see them now. But you're seeing a lot of these fights go to a decision. So there's really not a finish, right? And not that I'm against it. I love it. I still like the action. But I think as a total on a fan base, they come to fights and they want action now. And so basically all we've done and and all I've done is basically give them fights now by our rule changes and forcing the fighters to engage. And that's what we come for. Me as a fighter, I love it because I want to fight somebody. I don't want them hugging me. And, uh, you know, I don't want somebody backing up into the ropes, being able to use it to be able to help defend themselves and give them an advantage because now I got to come get them. Um, So it's just to me, I think some of the rule changes that we set in there are all strategically put in there because of where our society has gone with wanting everything now through social media platforms. And so to me, it seems like you've got two major competitors and I'm not talking about I'm talking about bare knuckle boxing has two major competitors and they're kind of opposites. On the one hand, you have this power slap stuff, which is exactly what you're talking about, you know, aimed at zoomers who want things fast, want, you know, no, don't give me any story. I just want to see somebody get hit in the head right now. On the other hand, we're seeing what seems like a pretty slow and steady, but considerable growth of submission grappling, where I would say submission grappling is probably more popular than it's been any time in the last maybe ever. How do you see those two forces like kind of competing? Do you see those as competition for you on a macro level or, or kind of irrelevant to what you're doing with the bare knuckle boxing? Yeah, we're nowhere in the, in the scene of competing with anyone right now. We're, we're a startup, you know, we're, we've got a different vision that we're working on and we're not looking to compete with anyone. We're nowhere near <laughs> being in, in anybody's world right now, you know? So we're focused on what we're doing. Um, the other things they're doing out there, man, we're looking at and we're enjoying uh, some of the groundwork that's being laid for us so that we're able to come up behind them and really put on some good shows. And so if I can switch a little bit to history now, uh, unless there's something else you want to say about Valor BK. No. 
cool. Um, like it seems to me that there was a project that you were one of the leaders of that, you know, you can say it started in different places. I could make an argument that it started in Brazil in 1917 when Maeda went down there as kind of a judo slash um, catch wrestler doing carnival shows and fights. And that tradition kind of continued on and off through Brazil through this boom and bust cycle. But in Japan, there was another thing that you are an active leader of where people like Inoki had been fascinated with the question of what's the strongest style? What's the most effective way for people to really fight? And and he was doing it and worked matches, but you know he had his shoot with Ali. And were you aware of that history when you got the opportunity to go fight in Pancrase? Did you know kind of the longer term project or was, or did you kind of have blinders on and you just saw what was directly in front of you? Here's an opportunity. This is cool. I hadn't heard about this. And and here we go. Yeah. I, I wasn't educated to the world and kind of my upbringing. And I just kind of focused on the here and now I had opportunities and I seized each, each step that I had taken, whether it be in pro wrestling or whether it be in street fighting or whether it be in pancreas, I just, in the moment, just seized those opportunities. And I saw, just like I did when I jumped in the USC and then crossed over in the WWF, I've seen opportunities and I felt like in my mind that these things were going to be special. And then I jumped in and made sure that I made my name known. And so you'd already done fighting in Pancras, which had to have been like pretty mind blowing when you first realized what they were trying to do pro pro wrestling, but for real, like, did that take you a while, a minute to get your head around, or were you just like, cool, I'm in? Yeah, you got me. I remember where I came from, and I was getting arrested for doing this stuff, and then they were going <laughs> to pay me. And it, literally, in my mind, that's how I thought. I was like, wow, you're going to – I mean, like, literally, you don't see people going to the ground uh, and then punching each other on the ground or, or working in these different submission stuff. Um, it, so for me, it was like, wow, oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, like, I had already been doing this my whole life. I mean, and now I'm going to go in there in this entertainment style and go in there open, uh, basically open hand, but kicking and kneeing and, and all that fun stuff. And then going on the ground and learning these submissions and fighting on the ground. It was like, man, for me, I was born to do it. I immediately felt like this was for me. And when the UFC came along, did you see it as, I mean, a lot of people look back at those first few UFCs as kind of an in-house promotion for Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Like, it was obvious it was. they they no, had it was. It was. yeah. How long did you realize that immediately going into UFC one, or did you figure it out once you got there? Uh, yeah, it was it was once they started, and again because it was supposed to be no rules, um, and the whole time I was waiting for it to come up and say, okay, this is how it's going to be, and it did, but just not at the level that I thought it was going to be fake, right? But they did come in and basically call a rules meeting. And I was like, well, hold up. There are no rules, you know, because that's what we were sold. Uh, and then they took away shoes and they took away guys from taping their hands that were boxers. Uh, but they let one guy wear a boxing glove, but they wouldn't let everybody else tape their hands. And it's just, it was a, you could tell like, okay, you know, this is leaning towards one guy. Uh, and, they're, and they're tilting the, the favor to him. Um, and, and you didn't know the, you didn't know the, uh, the, I guess the severity of it until you actually got in there and realized how important those things were to people, um, like taping someone's hand, like Gerard Godot breaking his hand and his foot, um, like uh, Zane Frazier, you know, not being able to take. So in my shoes, slipping all over the place, trying to take down Patrick Smith. 
um, didn't realize it until afterwards, like, wait a minute, these are pretty, pretty important things for us since we've never done it before. Um, but I will say this, and even though it, it, there's always been a complaint um, throughout history about it not having rules, but then all of a sudden there were rules, and then they put in things that literally took away people's advantage, or at least some advantage for people. Um, but you can't deny the fact that even though this thing was built around, you know, marketing this gracious jiu-jitsu, which in my opinion was brilliant. I mean, it was absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, but you, know, you can't deny the fact that it gave a lot of us careers. Even though we started out at a disadvantage, we end up coming out on top. Yeah. At what point did you realize that this was something much bigger than a sort of scheme to promote Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and, and that you were becoming legit famous in the United States? To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.